welcome back to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Studs Turco. And in my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me a chance to connect with good, hardworking people and take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Having just wrapped season three, I want to offer a few Studs patrons a chance to reflect and to look forward. And so it is my privilege and my pleasure to welcome to Studs three splendid patrons out of Chicagoland, Illinois, Laura Stevens. Laura, welcome to Studs. Thanks for having me, Dan. It is a bona fide pleasure and a welcome back to a Studs alum Todd Greenstein, welcome back to the podcast. Our listeners will probably remember you from the first episode of this season. Todd, how's it going over there? It's going, Dan. Thanks for having me on. It is a pleasure. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Dare I say Dr. Patrick Baker here in Berlin, Germany. I have to make a confession about Patrick Baker. Look, for a guy who doesn't get to make a whole lot of friends in his middle-aged life, I got to make a new friend, and it's Patrick Baker, and he has been such a supporter of the podcast. We walk and talk, and he countenances all of my bullshit as I um, make my way through this podcast experiment. Patrick, welcome to Studs. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's, uh, It's an honor. Why, thank you. So, my friends, let's reflect. Let's start here. What Studs episodes or moments stand out to you? And and why do they stand out to you? So, to start, I thought the interview you did with Jocelyn Gonzalez was mind-blowing. You know, she was the earth medicine practitioner. And... I really didn't know much about that world. Uh, The only insight I had ever had into that space was in an episode of Billions, which I think is on Showtime, where they they went to a shaman to clear their heads. But I didn't know anything, and I didn't research anything about it. So when she came on your show and talked through it, I was like, oh, wow, that's a real thing. And it's not just for TV. And her voice, how she explained it, yeah, created a picture in, in your mind of how it worked was was really great. She's a real special person. And, you know, we have another Studs patron who, I suppose I should throw him in the mix now. There's a Studs patron called Johannes Zorn here in Berlin, and he's a splendid dude. And he wasn't entirely comfortable for a few reasons being recorded here on the podcast, but I did want to reach out to him and ask him if he had a favorite episode. And Laura, he shares with you uh, a fascination with the Jocelyn Gonzalez episode. That one really moved me. I think it kind of changed me a little bit. Did you sign up yet? (laughs) I mean, I got to be honest. I think about it most days. I think about just taking an ayahuasca trip most days. Do you find yourself thinking about it? I, yeah, I, I'm so curious. I think I just fear for the unknown, you know, having a family. I am just so risk averse these days. So yeah, probably not going to happen for me. Yeah. Can you imagine that job though? Like doing that on, you know, a near daily basis, taking people into that realm of vulnerability for a living. 
And then just somehow having to like, you know, go to the store and shop like a regular fucking plebe. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick, did you have an episode that really stood out to you from any season, really? Oh, sure. Well, there, there are many. I think one of my favorite episodes was actually very close to the beginning. And I'm very, I have to apologize to all of the people who've spoken to you, but I don't remember any of their names. <laughs> I only remember their occupation uh, and what they talked about. But I think that's kind of a tribute to what the podcast does. So the, the first one that really grabbed me was the mailman. Yeah. Yeah. And I just felt like I got a, a great sense of how another human being goes through his day, really from beginning to end, and finds meaning in what he does. To my mind, he's carved out a, a really a kind of dream life. There's a kind of simplicity to it. There's a dependability to it, but it's, it's meaningful. He's doing something that everyone needs. And I know that I've, I've struggled in my life with meaning. Is there meaning for others in what I'm doing? And he seems to have really just hit that out of the park. Yeah, that is a a fan favorite, and it's a favorite of mine. And I should say a little inside baseball on that episode, that their mailman was one of my closest friends, if not my closest friend for a couple of years, and we just drifted away. That was our reconnecting after about 20 years. Some of that energy that's maybe behind our voices is a manifestation of that reconnection and it felt so good i was loaded with tears after that episode uh, was done recording and he and i just spent some time listening to each other a favorite of mine as well mr greenstein do you have a favorite it's hard to pick a favorite but i i really like how uh one after the other they're all really interesting and there's one with your friend who has a guitar shop i learned about guitars i learned about strip clubs. (laughs) I learned about all types of things. I have a a little memory from each. What do we think separates the best episodes from the mediocre episodes or, you know, perish the thought, the trash episodes? Well, I think there's value in each one and what the person brings to the conversation. And that is just the authenticity that they bring to the conversation. But some folks have a a knack for storytelling. And when you can bring a story to the table and help paint that picture for people, I think that is just fun listening. And what's really amazing is I'm assuming most of your guests aren't media trained, but some of them really have this knack, like a podcast knack. If you listen to a lot of podcasts, sometimes you can tell like what sounds like a storytelling, like someone who has experience doing this. And I'm assuming most of them don't, aside from telling their friends you know, over dinner at the bar, but the way they've learned how to convey that story in a way that resonates with people and makes an impact, I think that's a differentiator. Forgive me for wanting to comment on almost like everything that everyone says, but I'm just so passionate about this project. Part of the conceit of the project, Laura, is that Everybody is an expert at telling their own story. And so what I'm trying to do is to just give them the space to do that patiently, right, without having to do it before dessert comes or before, you know, the kids run in from the other room or whatever, just to like to create a quiet space for people to meditate on what they 
oftentimes know best, which is the work they've been doing for you know years, sometimes decades. It's not just like the task at hand. What does your job entail? I do this, this, and this. Here's my title. Here's who I interact with. It's the relationships or the stories that surround their day, you know, like the fireman, the way you approach that conversation was like the right speed. And at some point he started going really deep into feelings and losses and grief. And it was like at the right point, but hearing him talk about those situations was a, was a listener draw. Like the whole thing was interesting, but now you're wondering like, what is really going on? and his experience and others around him. Yeah. Patrick, what's your read? What separates the the best from the not best episodes? First, I'd like to piggyback on what Laura said, uh, but I take a bit of a different view of it just because we've talked about this. I, from the very beginning, was astounded at just how articulate all of your guests were. And it never occurred to me that you were doing a serious amount of editing to make them perhaps sound more articulate than they are. Not because they're not articulate people, but because it's impossible to speak for a half an hour as if you have some sort of prepared text. I always had the impression that people had given serious thought to what they were saying. They'd really reflected on it. And only later did I realize that that impression is an artistic creation of its own. And so I think that when you succeed in editing well, I don't even hear that it's edited. And so I think that that helps a lot, uh, good editing. What I think can bring some of the interviews down is some guests seem to have an unwillingness to get into the nitty gritty of their job. Yes. And I can hear you trying very hard, you know, making another pass, making another pass. Let's, let's get back to what your day is like. Tell me about your day. And perhaps they think that their day is not important enough, but that's what I want to hear the most. I want to hear what people's days are like. I'm fascinated by that because it just gets to the core of what's so important about work. So the guests that are reticent about that in a sense, sabotage their own interviews. That having been said, there are no interviews that I disliked, although my brother, who was also a regular listener, was infuriated by a podcast or two of yours when your interviewees refused to talk about a failure. <laughs> and I, I was not infuriated. He was infuriated. He called me, uh, who do these people think they are? And I believe his words were, why was Daniel such a pussy? And why didn't he go after that? <laughs> uh, I don't know yeah. that he needed to go after them, but that was kind of a letdown uh, for me. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Well, we're going to talk about it at the end of this episode. We're going to sort of revisit that concluding question. So we'll kind of come back to that. Perhaps this is a little navel-gazy, but I really want my patrons and all of my listeners to feel empowered to try to guide the tone and content of what I'm doing here. I don't pretend to be a professional podcaster. This is a fledgling endeavor. I'm learning and I'm loving it, but I don't know exactly what I'm doing. So let me ask you, like, what would you want to hear more or less of? on studs like what's your 
hopeful vision for the evolution of the project. Mr. Greenstein? Uh, maybe have different sections of work, like blue-collar season, or maybe one on how some people choose to major in engineering in college, and then they go off and do something totally different, a season of switching careers or... Yeah, do like a pivot season, right? Maybe. Second careers. I've thought about doing a season on second careers. I'm reasonably committed to doing a season on educators. I'm reasonably committed to doing a season on artists. Sure. you could. I, I think it's interesting how some people start off, whatever the job is, McDonald's, Walmart, the neighborhood deli, just talk about jobs they had going through the teenage years. It's so funny you should say that. I was thinking about doing a little mini project called Studs Shorts, and everyone talks about their favorite job that they had in their teen years. Just just like a five-minute story about right. McDonald's. Right. You could do just that, and you could say pick your top three goofiest, funniest, most entertaining jobs and tell a story or two from each one. But that that's interesting to me. For sure. Patrick, how would you like to see the program evolve? Well, it's hard to say. I, I kind of like it how it is. Right. I, <laughs> I, I guess I would perhaps like to see uh, the pendulum swing uh, more in the direction of blue-collar work for a while. I don't know. As I said many times, I like the day-to-day a lot. And it would be fascinating to hear from people who work in factories or work not some sort of deadbeat job necessarily. Clock in. Yeah, clock in, clock out. When you're done, you don't think about it anymore. You're happy you don't think about it anymore. You know, that kind of thing. Laura, I'm desperately curious. Tell me, what would you like to see more of? What would you like to see less of? How would you like to see the program evolve? I think you are all on to some really good ideas. I love the topic of reinventing oneself. It could be early could be, you know, after doing something for 25 years and I think about for my job, do I see it through and cash in or do I make a change for some kind of level of happiness and um, go a different route for the last 15 years? Or maybe focus on mentors. I really like when your guests talk about those who've helped them along the way. I think it's a nice testament um, stories of people, you know, passing up big opportunities and big bucks for jobs where they find more fulfilling. I'm crazy about all of those ideas. I want to do a, a pivot season, second careers. I often want to ask people, like, if they could retire today, would they? But I almost feel like it's an unfair question. There's so many nuances to that, the implications of it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, questions that you ask at the end. And I think it could be something around, you know, retirement. When do you have a, a plan for retirement? What do you want to do after retirement? Yeah. I mean, retirement is so far-fetched and or so far away for so many people that I, I don't exactly know how to line up that question. I mean, some people don't want to retire. That's, that amazes me. Let's like talk to someone who like, can't give it up, loves it. 65, (laughs) not even thinking about retiring. (laughs) 
So there might be a book that comes out of these podcasts, and if there is, surely one of the chapters of the book will be about how people crave the communities that they cultivate through their work. Their enrichment from their work has almost nothing to do with, like, the work. It's about these communities that develop around what they do. It's about being with the people. And that is one theme that has come through every single podcast I've had the honor to be part of. And the notion that people would have to leave those communities for this thing that we cherish called retirement. You know, it happened to my father, right? My father literally had our retirement calendar countdown, a thousand days till he could retire. And he, he changed that calendar every single day. And when the time came for him and he retired, I'm sure he would agree it was one of the worst things that ever happened to him because that community was no longer there for him. He could no longer participate in that marketplace of ideas. And this is why I kind of see work as this sacred endeavor. It has a little bit to do with delivering mail or doing HVAC work or, or you know, healing others, you know, through therapy or through ayahuasca. It has everything to do with just connecting. And that's something that I, I keep on rediscovering. And I find a lot of beauty in that. I find no beauty in the image I'm about to lay down, which is that I'm going to lay naked before you. I want my patrons here to feel emboldened to ask any question that they want to ask me about the podcast, the process, the product, or the people I'm, I'm interviewing. Um, let's talk a little inside baseball. Anything that you would like to know about what I at least try to do with studs and how it happens? I have a couple questions. Uh, you know, just the basic preparation. You know, what, what percent is research? Well, tell us about it. How do you? I do um, almost no research. Um, if there are people who I've never met before, I try to make sure that I'm conversant in the vocabulary. In season four, I have a cardiologist and I just realized like the vocabulary for that particular profession is totally above and beyond what I could possibly, you know, bring to that interview. I like to think about them. Here, my favorite thing about the podcast is really before and after the the conversation. Because before the conversation that's recorded, I get to think about these people and their work and imagine what it must be like to be an ICU nurse, just as an example. And then we have the conversation, and during the conversation, I'm just like listening really closely and really empathically and totally like immersing myself in the world, but also like listening to the sound a lot, making sure that the sound's dialed in and all of that. And then after the podcast, I get to spend hours and hours listening to them over and over again in the editing room and hearing them, hearing what they said, 
but also hearing what I know they were trying to say and then bringing that out. So the preparation is really little more than walking and thinking and letting myself live with the anticipation of the conversation that's soon to come. Um, but I, I do almost no research. It probably shows. <laughs> no, I think that I think that said it's I'm in, I'm impressed. Yeah, like no, not a lot of research here. Other questions, I'll take them. I love talking about my podcast. This is yeah, go ahead. You've mentioned other podcasts. What other ones are you involved in? So I have a podcast that I do with my students. It's called Ideas. It is a an acronym. Ideas is an acronym for identity, diversity, empathy, awareness, and service. And I basically serve an executive producer role and sometimes a host role in trying to promote what we like to call a safe but a challenging space to discuss issues of diversity and identity. And it's really a student podcast, and that's that. And then I have this other, I, to call it a podcast is perhaps a misnomer, but because of the COVID crisis and because I'm now starting in 2021 teaching from home, I'm recording my lectures as podcasts for my students. So my government and politics lectures are being recorded. And so I'm really, you know, I'm going to get my 10,000 hours, my Gladwellian 10,000 hours of experience in podcasting uh, real, real quick here. But those are the three main projects, three main podcast projects I'm working on. Patrick, do you have any questions about the process? Um, well, I'm curious what you don't like about the podcast. Mm. And if like, if there was an aspect of it that you didn't have to do, what would it be? So I'm going to contradict myself by telling you that while there is a lot of joy in the hours I spend editing each podcast, it can be tedious. And just the tedium of editing. But it can also be really humbling and frustrating. And I find that really unenjoyable too, where like, I, boy, I wish I would have asked that, or boy, I would have been better off having interrupted there. I'm, I'm really loathe to interrupt my guests. I almost never do. The only time I interrupt a guest usually is if they're not sounding good or if I need to get them to stay still in their chairs because it's affecting the sound quality. Um, and so editing, while it is a labor of love, it's also laborious. And that's something that I don't love so much. And one thing uh, in, in a second answer to your question that I really struggle with is what to do with the introduction to the conversation. How much to set the table and how much I should bring myself into the introduction, because I really keep myself out of the conversation for the most part. It's you know really about them. But I have an impulse to want to share with my listeners my thoughts and my feelings. I find myself so inspired by so moved by the vulnerability that my guests exhibit that when I introduce 
them and our conversation, I too want to exhibit some vulnerability. And I did that on the last episode. Um, and I did so because I was just so overwhelmed with some things that were going on in my life that the introduction to Michael Morozinski's podcast was five or seven minutes of me just laying myself bare before the audience. And while that's hard for me to do, that's something I'm I'm struggling with and thinking I might do more of. I will tell you, though, in, in a more direct answer to your question, that I'm not sure that the introduction does what I want it to do. Well, what, what do you want it to do? Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm also really conscientious about people's time. I mean, the podcasts are already about an hour long. And so to add 10 minutes of anything to that is, you know. Any other queries you have about the process or how the sausage is made, so to speak? Well, I've got another question, but I have a feeling you're not going to like it. Ah. But I, I'm just curious where, to what extent you have set concrete goals for yourself in terms of listenership, monetization, uh, funding of other kinds, um, how wide you want your reach to be in this podcast? Is it still, you know, a labor of love? Do you see it more still as an amateur thing that you're just doing something that you get a lot out of and you're having fun and we'll see how we'll see where it goes? Or have you started to develop a clearer sense of where you want it to go or where you hope it goes, even if it might seem too early to really hope concretely for anything in particular? Yeah, I love the question. It's a very challenging question. I struggle with it because I love the podcast. When I listen to the finished product, when it comes up on iTunes, I... I marvel at how magnificent all of these people are and the honesty and the earnestness and the vulnerability and the downright decency. And I love how much I learn from them. And look, I am so sick and tired of hearing from politicians and celebrities, not because they're any lesser but they're not any better. And I think that giving workers a voice is super important. And thus, to the extent to which I'm ambitious to empower the voices of regular working people and do my part to try to drown out the damn near hegemony that celebrities and politicians have over the marketplace of ideas, I'm super ambitious. Like, that's my ambition. Can I just riff on that for a second, Daniel? Riff on that. Um, it occurred to me when in a recent interview that you did uh, with the guy who does internet stuff for Sinn Féin. Yeah. I was just so happy to hear from someone who worked for a political party who was not already convinced that everyone thought that what he had to say was important. And I, I think that's what you're getting at with his politicians and celebrities when those people talk, they assume that everyone wants to hear what they have to say. And that might be part of what makes them so boring. And I think there's something really magical 
about drawing these people who you have as your guests, drawing them out. You can hear it happening sometimes during the interview where they finally decide that they're important enough to take what they do seriously enough to really give an account of it instead of saying, ah, you know, what I do doesn't matter, which is, I think, something that a lot of people not only say, but really think. And it's not true. It's great when you hear that moment where they realize it, that, it, that that's not true. Man, I got goosebumps hearing you say it. Thank you so much. This is whatever I get out of this working roundtable episode one. <laughs> I got that. Um, I'm loving this, y'all. Thank you so much. I have to add a question from Johannes Zorn, the studs patron. He asks, and I'm quoting here, if you were just curious, you could have had all of this information simply by chatting with your friends, but you take the burden on yourself and you produce the podcast. Is it financial? Do you want to be famous? He asks. Look, no, it's not financial. I, I, I am seeking some support from regular listeners, but I'm not, I'm going to do it for free forever for as long as I can. It's not financial. I love the conversations I have with people about their work. But then invariably, Johannes, they're going to ask me questions about me and my work. Right? They, <laughs> it's a conversation. It's a two-way conversation. And while I appreciate that no one wants to be so selfish as to talk about their work themselves, their families, whatever, in perpetuity, I want them to. I want them to have a concentrated, quiet space to really reflect on what they do and to share with me what they do. And so, Patrick, this sort of is adjacent to your question. No, I'm not looking to be famous. If there was a place to be famous with podcasts, I, you know, I, I missed that boat a long time ago. And the notion of fame, I'm totally allergic to. So, no decisively and definitively no it's not about fame but it is about shifting the marketplace of ideas to the best of my ability to magnify the voices of the common person in an effort to humble the voices of our celebrity and political overlords and listen Johannes, if I could get people to talk for an hour or an hour and a half about their jobs and just keep talking and talking without any of the social graces, I probably would need this podcast. But people are really kind and generous and they will ask you questions in response. And so it just gets in the way of my curiosity. <laughs> so that's why I have a podcast. Um, hey, y'all, I'm wicked grateful that you remain curious enough about the podcast to ask me some questions about it and to give me a chance to reflect on what it is that I'm at least trying to do here. But let's reflect on our lives for just a moment. Like, if you could tell your 18-year-old self something that you know now that you didn't know then about how to engage with work, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Patrick, why don't you lead off? All right, sure. Um, I would tell my 18-year-old self that uh, contrary to what you feel deep in your bones, money does matter. I made a commitment very early on in life to never make professional 
or life decisions based on money. That enabled me to do many wonderful things that I certainly never would have done if I had not had that mentality. So it was wonderful. But at a certain point, when life kind of changed with kids and uh, things like that, I realized that I was thinking about money all of the time, and it's because I didn't have any. And that was a very debilitating place to be. And uh, it required several years of very hard, really excruciating work to get out of that place. And I don't think that was necessary. So that's what I would tell my earlier self. I like that, Patrick. I, I was thinking it's important to find the balance of something you will like, at least, and being able to pay the bills. Um, but also, the easy route isn't always the best route. Don't be afraid to take risks or be uncomfortable to fail. I mean, that's something that we hear in my profession all the time, like, you know, fail, fail, for, fail often, fail fast. That's the best growth. So, Laura, you mentioned failing, and I got to tell you, there's a lot that I love about the concluding question that I ask my guests about their professional triumph and their professional failure. But a lot of guests sort of wiggle their way around it, and I want that. I think I kind of welcome that. But I'm not convinced that the story of a professional triumph and a professional failure is the best conclusion. Do you have a recommendation for an alternative way to conclude episodes in forthcoming seasons? It's a hard one. I think you started with a great question. And if I heard it another 50 times, I would be okay with it. But uh, you know, a couple thoughts might be similar to what we talked about earlier, but if you were to embark on another profession, what would it be and why? Or do you dream of retirement? If yes, you know, do you have plans? And if, if you don't, why? Yeah, that could be a perfect conclusion. Mr. Greenstein, what would you advise for just an alternative conclusion? It doesn't have to be better necessarily, but just uh, something, something different. Maybe something like, what, what did you experience that you would have never imagined you would go through in your career? Uh, a wild story or something that happened that was out of the ordinary. And also, I think that helped me, uh, my recollection here, maybe with Scott, you ended with a conclusion. And then afterwards, you put a little sound bite or two, or was it with yeah. the mail worker afterwards? And I think that's pretty funny because you must have a lot of sound bites and clips. And I think when you end with, with something funny that will leave the listener kind of chuckling, even after whatever conclusion you choose, uh, might be a fine idea. I like that outtake idea. I've been looking to bring the outtakes back. They are fun. Patrick Baker, sir, what's the least bad way to conclude an episode of Studs? All right. Well, I, I would have to agree with Laura, first of all, that I, I could hear that question 50 more times at least, and it would not grow old. I'm a big fan of failure. I like to hear about failure. But if you need to change it, uh, two possible ideas. One is to just go right straight at it after maybe talking around it for an hour. 
And that's what does work mean to you? Because uh, it's something that I think rarely ever gets addressed head on, but is always in the room. And if you wanted something lighthearted, uh, an idea I had was to ask them to make comparisons between their everyday job and depictions of that job on television or in, in literature. I, that's what I tried for a couple episodes. I like did this thing where I'm like, what's a cultural artifact that somehow symbolizes or represents what you do? It could be a poem, a TV show, a movie, a song, anything. And boy, was it crickets. I love your idea. <laughs> um, I also love your idea of what does work mean to you. And if I do that, which I just might, I think I might just call it the fabulous Baker question. Don't do that. And you'll have yourself enshrined in the podcast as such. You all are enshrined in my hearts. I am so grateful, not just because you patronize the podcast in a particular way, but because you listen to it and you care about it and you're willing to bounce ideas around with me. I am so grateful to have people like you in my life. Thank you so, so much. And I hope we can do something like this again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, Daniel. Thank you. Bye, Dan. Thanks, Dan. The conversations that I have on studs mean the world to me. And I hope that the conversations that I have on studs spark conversations in your lives. And if they do, and if you're a regular listener, and you dig what we're trying to do over here at the Studs Pod, you are cordially invited to become a patron over at patreon.com studs. And if you support the podcast, you too can have a seat at the Working Roundtable at the end of next season. Hopefully I'll see you there. But no pressure. It's all good. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy. Stay sane. I'll see you soon for season four.